Hi, I'm Brian Vantine. I am the Phase One Co-Director at Washington University in St. Louis in the Seidman Cancer Center. And I am greatly and happily joined today by an ex-postdoc of mine who just put out a very important paper named Charles Schutt. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Charles Schutt. I was Dr. Vantine's lab manager, staff scientist, second-in-command, hand of the king, whatever it needed to be. And we worked really, really hard in collaboration with Columbia University and Lee Ding's group to actually put together a paper on, you know, making neoantigen evolution of, you know, what happens in head and neck cancer when you go from a primary tumor to first metastasis. And we looked at neoantigens, we looked at genetic evolution, and we learned quite a lot doing this, wouldn't you say, Charles? We definitely learned a lot doing this. Net cancer is one of those cancers that, you know, represents about 3% of all cancers, but it's associated with, you know, events that happen during your lifetime. It's associated with, you know, human papillomavirus. It's associated with drinking and smoking. And this leads to a lot of DNA damage, you know. And so it's an interesting tumor. It's a tumor that's in need of new therapies. It's a tumor that's in need of really a different view of understanding. And so Charles led a team that looked at uh, some very important samples we actually had in our tumor bank. So this was a fun project for me to kind of step into. Dr. Ding's lab had already done a lot of the work isolating and doing all of the omic analysis, so looking at the DNA mutations over time, looking at RNA sequencing over time, predicting neoantigens over time. And I got to step into this and say, okay, we have all of this information, we have all of that, and we have this immunohistochemistry data from Dr. Ingham's group at Columbia University. What does it mean? And so that was very fun to take all of this and put together this story uh, in our publication. You know, I mean, we can't forget that Doug Atkins, 15 years ago, had the idea to start banking what he was doing. And so he had, you know, he runs a very large head and neck cancer clinic and he was banking, you know, primary tumors and then he would be biopsying first metastases to prove it was cancer and all this was banked. And out of this became a really unique set of agents. We actually had 23 patients where we had not only the first primary tumor, but then we had outcomes data for when they actually metastasized, where they, you know, where they arose from, what their genomics were. And I, I think this really began to give us a unique tool to really look at this from a different way. Uh, definitely so. I, I think what was neat about Charles's background is he's actually a really well-trained immunologist. And he really began to piece together immunology of what was going on patient by patient. You know, it's not a large data set, but we contacted other institutions looking for similar paired consented patients, and they're really hard to find. And even in the modern day and age where we're doing this prospectively, this is our first glimpse into head and neck cancer where you actually get an idea of what's going on. At least to our knowledge, this is the first study where anyone has looked at paired samples and actually tried to predict neoantigen burdens and neoantigen changes over time. So it was very exciting for us to be able to pair that data with mutation data and with all of the other things we were able to do in this study. I think what it was kind of... You know, the most striking thing you showed me is when we started seeing neoantigens, not necessarily at the same place in the same genes, but within recurrent genes, mm -hmm. you know, up to what, four or five different patients yeah. 
same gene that was evolving between the primary and the metastasis. When you think of, we only had 23 samples, I think there's an insight into, or at least a beginning of a hint, that there's pathways that get activated, as you know, and we assume, but there's a neoantigen evolution as you kind of need to escape the immune system from your, once your time primary tumor is gone, to establish a new home and then to actually grow it later. Well, and what was exciting to us, not only were we seeing these mutations occurring in the same genes, that actually seemed to be correlating with outcomes. When patients had mutations in these genes, they had these predicted neoantigens. This seemed to be correlating with them living longer, having more T-cell infiltration into the tumor, positive things for the patient. So it was very exciting for us and hopefully interesting step forward for the field. I think one of the things that struck me is one of the genes that seems to get hit a lot is actually PI3 kinase. Mm -hmm. And... That biology and the changes in that kinase may be much more important than we thought in terms of just direct drugging it. And so if we can begin to understand more of this process, you know, that's happening actually in my favorite animal model, which is people, maybe we can use this against the tumor. And I think we need larger data sets. I think we need to be able to do this on a much bigger scale. But the hints into this for this, it's not breast cancer in terms of the number of patients who get this. It's more of a rare disease, but it's not as rare as some of the other diseases I actually treat. But there's a hint here that I think there's something special. And, you know, your really unique look into the infiltrates and the work you did with Columbia, I think really is something you should discuss. What was very interesting for us is, like we said, there were these uh, mutation or recurrent uh, mutation in genes. And this seemed to be correlating with an increase in uh, CD8 T-cell infiltration. We seem to be seeing an increase in uh, cytolytic activity, at least on the transcript level within these tumors as well, which was very interesting and exciting for us. Our samples had a bit of a limitation in that they're banked, so we really didn't have anything to come back to to actually verify whether the uh, neoantigens we were predicting are actual neoantigens, but that would be an interesting step forward to see whether these how these predictions are actually playing out in the tumor. No, I think this is the direction that you know needs to happen next because if we actually can find subgroups of recurrent genes to go after, this may start helping us take apart a disease that's not just one disease, but many, many, yeah. many different diseases with many, many different subsets. And so I think you should be very proud of this work you led. And now this was a fantastic collaborative effort from a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds, but it was uh, exciting to put together. It was exciting to work with um, many different people across many different places. And even in kind of a challenging time where we're all working remotely, it was uh, quite the accomplishment to get all of this put together and out and published. I think it's important to always thank our funders which included mm. Mark, who had the foresight to know that this was going to be interesting and potentially transformative. You know, the actual Division of Medical Oncology at Washington University, where John DiPerzio really does support us. And, you know, 
just our philanthropy supporters. And so from that standpoint, I also kind of want to thank Lee Ding for all the hard work of her group and the group that came together from Columbia that really did make things happen in a way that I thought was really, really nice. And so do you have any closing thoughts, Charles? I'd also like to thank the patients who were willing to let their samples be biopsied and banked for this study. We could not do this without them. So we're very grateful to have patients that are willing to participate with us. I look forward to elaborating, you know, Charles moved to Japan just to escape me. And so uh, he's direly missed, but I look forward to continuing this work both here and in Japan and seeing if we can actually make this early discovery a transformative thing for patients. So thank you for joining me, whether it's really late or really early. Uh, it's a little bit of both in Japan, but uh, thank you for letting me uh, uh, join in on this. This has been a lot of fun. A lot of, and it's a lot of fun to talk about. This was really exciting work for us, and it's glad to see that it got published, that it's getting some push from Uncle Target, and yeah, this has been a, quite the experience. Yeah, we also want to thank the editors of Uncle Target for uh, allowing us the ability to talk about this. So, yes. And thank you if you've made it to the end of the recording for listening. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.